Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of E.W. Jackson for America. Glad to be with you again today. And just got back from Dallas, Texas last night. Had a wonderful time down there with the folks at First Baptist Church, Gary Bennett and uh, the, the, the Committee on Ethics and so forth. And it was, but it was just a wonderful time. And I uh, got to see some other friends while I was there, too. Well, look, folks, I'm back. And um, a lot of my people got a lot of my books um, went in Dallas, and I'm grateful for that. Thank all of you for supporting my book, E.W. Jackson's new book, Sweet Land of Liberty, Reflections of a Patriot Descended from Slaves. Again, the book is available at FaithfulText.com. That's F-A-I-T-H, Faithful, F-A-I-T-H-F-U-L, text, T-E-X-T, Dot com. Now that's my publisher's website, and you can buy the book there. It re retails at twenty nine bucks, but you can buy the book there at fifteen percent off. But if you want to support the work that I am doing, if you want to support Stand, staying true to America's national destiny, uh, join us as a Patriot partner for a minimum of twenty five bucks a month, and I will send you a free copy of the book, signed and numbered, so you'll know exactly what number book you are getting. Everybody else will be getting books that won't be numbered. They won't be signed. Uh, when I'm uh, selling books personally at an event, of course, I sign them. But the only, the, the only ones that are numbered are numbered for new Patriot partners. So I forget what number I'm up to now, but I think I'm close to 30. But whatever the next number is, if you're the first one to sign up for Patriot partner, in fact, I think I've got some waiting to be signed now, but you'll get the next number, whatever that is, because I'm the one who's putting those numbers on and I'm personally keeping the chart of those numbers, at least right now. As the numbers get bigger, I might, as the numbers grow, I might have to delegate that to someone else, but you will get the next, next number uh, of the book that goes out. Uh, I will be in <clears throat> St. Lewis, right outside of St. Louis at Grace Church on Saturday and Sunday. I'll be speaking on Saturday at the men's breakfast at 9 a.m. Uh, and by the way, that Grace Church is at, um, is at 2695 Creve Core Mill. I think that's Core, C-O-E-R, C-O-E-U-R. Creve Corps Mill Road in Maryland Heights, Missouri. So it's right outside of uh, Missouri, I take it. And uh, so I will be there with the senior pastor, Ron Tucker, and, and I guess lead pastor, Wes Martin, and, uh, and the, the Grace Church family. So if you're in the area, come on out and visit with us. I would love to see you there. Uh, and I'll have books available there as well. Okay? And I'll, so I'll be preaching... Uh, speaking Saturday morning at the men's breakfast, I'll be speaking Saturday evening at the evening service, Saturday night, and that's at 6 p.m., and then I'll be speaking again on Sunday morning at 10 a.m., okay? Sunday morning at, at 10 a.m., okay, all right, and I'll be preaching two different messages, on one on Saturday night and one on uh, Sunday morning because apparently there's going to be overlap. So I'll be I'll be giving two different messages that time. Uh, so we'll see what the Lord leads me to give at the men's breakfast. I have something special for the men as well. Looking forward to that. <clears throat> okay. I don't know whether you all saw this, but Gallup has a new poll out 
which I, I just thought was very, very interesting, uh, finding out what, what's important to the American people at this moment. What are we thinking about? And I was a little shocked by this, to tell you the truth. I, I was a little shocked by this. Um, the, the, the top nine issues, the top nine issues that Americans are concerned about. Um, and they are, and I'll go from the bottom up because I want to get to the first one because the first one kind of shocked me. Um, but number nine is the ethical and moral and family decline of our culture. Good that's on there. Number eight is crime and violence. And by the way, these are close. It's not like a whole bunch of people concerned about one. These are, these are all, you know, very, very close uh, in terms of how many people rated these the number one issue. Um, the next is poverty and hunger and homelessness, which I'm surprised is above crime and violence. And then race relations and racism, which does, again doesn't surprise me. Here's one that does. The next one up, number five, unifying the country, unifying the country. I, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised it's on there. I'm glad it's on there. Um, number four, the economy. Uh, number three, immigration. Immigration's number three. Number two, inflation. And here's number one, government and poor leadership. And you know what that tells me is that people think all of these, I think rightly believe, all of these other issues are the result of poor leadership in government. And I agree with them. Even though the one about family, I think there is not so much present day leadership per se, but decades of poor leadership that have brought us to a point where our family and cultural norms have broken down. Now, we just had a terrible incident happen in Memphis. And of course, that's continuing to unfold day by day. And I'm not so much going to get into the details of that uh, Yesterday on my radio program, if you listen to my radio program, I talked about the fact that my heart goes out to that family. This kid apparently had no record. I'm hearing all kinds of things about what was behind this, including the possibility of some jealousy over a woman that one of these officers had against him and that that was really behind the vicious attack and beating that he took. We'll see. That's what I have heard that from reliable sources, but I've not verified that independently. I don't know that for a fact. I'm just so I'm sharing it with you with that proviso. Okay, if it proves to be true, then uh, obviously that will show that my sources are are really quite good. Um, but I haven't verified it yet. But it is what I've been told by a very reliable source. This issue. Um, of having Al Sharpton come and speak at the funeral of this young man is a gargantuan mistake. It is a gargantuan mistake because, see, this is what the left fails to understand. The whole country, people of every hue, every complexion, every background, Americans of all ancestral origins, are appalled by this, are, are shocked, are disgusted by this. This is a, most Americans were disgusted by this uh, officer putting his knee on the neck of George Floyd, are, were disgusted. We were unified around that. 
But here comes the left. They don't want unity. They want division. And so they pluck up the pimp of racial hustling to come and do a funeral for a young man who's got no record. He's clearly not a victim of racism. But they bring in the puppet master of racial manipulation. And to me, it denigrates the whole thing. It really does. It soils what we're hearing as the decency of this young man. Because Al Sharpton? Al Sharpton has no reputation for integrity, for honor, for decency, for compassion. I mean, his, his reputation is he would elbow his mother in the jaw to get her out of the way of, of a camera. That he's a shyster, that he's a hustler, that he's, he, he's, he's a, a financial profligate. He's just frankly a disgusting individual. <sighs> you know, and I've said before, isn't there a local pastor that people respect and honor who could stand up and give that eulogy? The press is going to show up no matter what. And I've heard that there have been some communities where things have jumped off and Al Sharpton shows up and they tell Al Sharpton, pack your bags and go back to where you came from. We do not need you here. You do not represent us. You're not speaking for us. Sad situation because here again, it interjects racial division into a situation that has absolutely nothing to do with race. I don't care what the left says about, well, these cops are systemically racist because they're part of a racist system. It's just a bunch of nonsense. These cops are sinful human beings who did a terrible thing and they're going to pay the price for it. That's what this boils down to. And it, there is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God and the consequences of sin must be paid. And they're going to pay the consequences. Of course, we know that Jesus Christ came to absolve us and to and to pay the price for our sins. But we're talking about in the legal context now, not in the spiritual context. And, and, in the, and they bring Al Sharpton to something like this. I mean, nothing, nothing could be, they, they, it, there couldn't be a worse move. But I think it's the stupid attorney who may be very good at getting his clients money, but that's not exactly hard in a climate like this where uh, cities and, and, and counties are, are anxious to write a check to get the matter out of their hair. I mean, uh, okay. We owe you. I mean, the moment they start admitting wrongdoing, just get the checkbook out because they're going to pay. And they should pay. I don't have a problem with that. But this lawyer doesn't have to be brilliant in order to get, I mean, to extort money from a city that already has his back up against the wall and is trying to avoid riots and chaos. I mean, that's, that's not exactly brilliant negotiating to get them to write a check for a million or five million or 25 million, whatever it might be. So I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed. And he's probably the one who's brought Al Sharpton in. Now, I don't know that for a fact, but I think there's some, I think those two have an alliance. So he's probably the one who's brought Al Sharpton in, which just goes to show that he too is a race hustler. Because if he weren't a race hustler, he wouldn't bring Al Sharpton in. I mean, Al Sharpton's going to come in there and he's going to do his little song and dance and, you know, do his little Mr. Bojangles, little racial garbage that he the, the man is not a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ he can't bring the love of God to bear on the situation because he doesn't know God 
he can't bring the blood of Jesus on there and he doesn't, can't bring the word on there because he doesn't know the word either. All he can do is come in there and do his little racial demagoguery thing. <laughs> Once again, the criminal justice system and the world and America doesn't understand. Or, you know, I mean. <sighs> Lord, help us. And Lord, help the black community to awaken and stop allowing itself to be exploited by these con men who could care less about a black child being saved in the streets of our cities, 315 have been murdered since 2020, who could care less about a quality education for these children because he's beholden to the teachers unions just like all these other little pimping politicians are who basically claim to be representing the black community when they're actually representing a bunch of white leftists, Marxists. And he's beholden to Planned Parenthood that, that has convinced people that they're doing black folks a favor by killing their unborn babies to the tune of three or four hundred thousand a year. And they ought to be, you ought to give them a pat on the back because they shed the blood of innocent black babies. That, that's a wonderful thing. And we reward people who, who pimp off the community like that <clears throat> and, and, and bring these godless, monstrous, demonic policies and claim they're doing so. They represent the black community. Give me a break. 10,000 black folks died after <clears throat> the uh, defund the police movement started. A 25% increase in the murders of black folks. And you haven't heard a peep out of Black Lives Matter matter. You haven't heard a peep out of Al Sharp. You haven't heard a peep out of the Black Caucus. In other words, the, the blood of black folks is, is running in the streets of our cities. And these people have absolutely nothing to say about it because they're not interested in saving black folks lives. They're interested in feathering their own pockets and feathering their own nests and keeping power and keeping status so that they can wear nice clothes and go to nice restaurants and, 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 and be called congressmen or, or whatever. I have no patience with it whatsoever. And he shouldn't be, <clears throat> he shouldn't be allowed anywhere near that funeral. We'll find somebody with, with decency and honor and integrity. And, and, and there's some pastors like that all over this country. I've got to believe there's some in Memphis who are going to go, go to that funeral and preach the word of God rather than going to the funeral and preaching a bunch of racial demagogic nonsense. Okay, but that's not my main topic, believe it or not. What I wanted to talk to you about is this. This poll tells us something very important. What it tells us is that there is more to our problems than political and economic, that we are dealing with what I, what I call a cultural degeneration, a cultural breakdown. Uh, I don't know whether they taped my message last night. I have no clue whether they did or not. Um, but I hope they did because I shared in that message my view that we are in a cultural crisis and the culture of America is under attack. Uh, Antonio Gramsci the, uh, the uh, infamous communist 
as I've said, I really believe he's the most influential communist other than Karl Marx himself to, to, uh, to, to impact the world because he took Karl Marx's theory of class warfare and he developed a new model for transforming societies and making them communist. And the new model was you don't need a violent revolution. What you need is to subvert the culture of the country from within. He called it overthrowing the cultural hegemony of a country because he said that free societies like the United States of America, for example, are not held together by force as communist countries are. Communist countries, people are held together because they are forced to. They know that if they get out of line, they're going to get shot or they're going to get locked up or put in a labor camp or sent to a re-education camp or tortured or again, ultimately murdered. Not only them, but their entire family, because one person gets out of line, that, that brings the entire family into question. So it's almost like a mafioso operation. You get out of line, we'll kill your family. So it's operated by force. But Gramsci said, but in a society like America, it's not operated by force. It's operated by a set of values that everyone shares, and those values are what congeal the society. Those values are what hold the society together, not the point of a gun. And if you want to overthrow those societies, you can't get a violent revolution because often the working class is so upwardly mobile. Here's a guy with no education, but his son, like in my case, for example, if I may, I talk about this in my book, my father's got a sixth grade education. He's a welder. His son has a Harvard Law School education. He's an attorney. Well, that happens all the time, all over America. It's not unique to me. All over America, it's happening every single day. How do you, how do you get people to believe, well, we need a violent revolution because, because there is no hard and fast class structure that stops people from achieving we are an upwardly fluid and upwardly mobile society. How do you convince people that you've got to have fundamental change? You convince them by attacking the values that they hold dear and that they believe justify the kind of society that they have. You undermine those values. You supplant those values with a new set of values. Marxist values, socialist values, communist values. And if you do that, you can create a communist country without firing a shot. Now that's not Bishop Jackson talking, that's Antonio Gramsci's theory. Now that theory has been imbibed and has been absorbed by the Democrat Party and the left in our country. And a lot of their thinking is based on that, whether they're conscious of Antonio Gramsci or not. Most of them are. The elite certainly are. But the rank and file probably have never heard of Antonio Gramsci in some cases, but they don't realize they're being manipulated by the ideas and the principles of Antonio Gramsci, which are being used by elites to move the culture in the direction that they wanted to go in. It's very intentional. It's not, this is not, stuff is not happening accidentally. This is happening very intentionally. I don't traffic in conspiracy theories. I say when you get a bunch of people all in agreement, fundamental agreement, they don't need to conspire. 
because they're going to operate in concert because they're all marching to the beat of the same drummer. And that's what you have in our country today. You got people who are subverting the culture of the United States of America. I, you know, I'm going to probably spend some more time on this tomorrow because I, I'm not going to have time to get into this in the, in the details that I want. Um, and I'm convinced of this. It, so, so, so one out of every five Americans says the most important issue in our country is we need better government leadership. Because our, our government leadership is poor. I would take that a step further. I would say we've got to have leadership that understands what I just told you that understands this is not simply a political battle, this is a cultural battle. Now, we as Christians talk about a spiritual battle because uh, Andrew Breitbart said politics is downstream from culture, but I would say culture is downstream from spirituality. The spirituality of a nation will determine the culture of that nation, and the culture of that nation will determine the politics of that nation. And see, here's, here's a big problem I have with the Republican Party and conservatives in general. The Democrat Party and the left, they are trying to win the culture. And Republicans are trying to win elections. But see, Democrats and leftists, these Marxists, these communists understand, you win the culture, you're going to win the elections. That's a fait accompli. You get the culture, conform to your values and your ideals, the elections are not even an issue because you've got everybody thinking the way you want them to think. Let me just give you my definition of culture. Culture is the set of norms, rules, values, ideals, behaviors that govern a people's thought and action without having to be written down as law. Without somebody saying, you must do this, but this is the way we think. This is the way we operate. Th these are the values that are important to us. That's what a culture is. And all cultures are not equal. I mean, you've got Aboriginal cultures. I've shared this before, but uh, I was watching one documentary where in Aboriginal culture, before the, the gospel of Jesus Christ came in, they were actually killing women with some kind of superstitious determination of which woman was responsible for a storm or calamity or sickness or whatever. It was the fault of the women, and they would boil these leaves, and then they, through that they would identify the woman, then they kill that woman. That was how they solved the problem of the, of the disease or the, or the calamity. Or... That was their cultural norm. Well, that's demonic. That's pagan. That's idolatrous. That's superstition. And it is inferior to what we have as a Judeo-Christian culture. We don't think like that. We don't behave that way. Irrationality is not enshrined in our culture. Not that we don't sometimes, as Americans, behave irrationally, that some Americans don't behave irrationally, but irrationality is not a cultural norm in our country. But I'll tell you what, the left is trying to make it so. 
Let me make one other comment about this, and then I'll try to introduce this topic, but I'm going to come back to it tomorrow. You know, the, one of the beautiful things about American culture is that American culture is an amalgam of a lot of different cultures that have come together to make this unique thing we call American culture. The, the, the people who came here, the, the British, the Germans, the Irish, the Italians, the Africans, the Jews, um, the Asians, the Indians, uh, the Eastern Europeans, Western Europeans, Eastern Europeans, uh, all came here from their own cultures and those cultures had their own set of norms and values and they were not the same. You know, I said to people, you know, this idea of white people, that's only a couple hundred years old because Europeans didn't think of themselves as quote unquote white people and the rest of the world are people of color. I mean, that's a modern construct. They thought of themselves based upon their families, their, their city, their region, and in some cases, their country. I mean, you know, Italy is a fairly young country. The Italians did not think of themselves as Italians. They thought of themselves as Sicilians or Calabrese or um, you, you name the, the, the area that they came from. But, but that's, that's how they identified themselves with their families in their areas, their regions. The Southern Italians didn't comport with the Northern Italians. The Celtic Irish didn't like the Scotch Irish. And the Germans came here and stayed completely to them. We call them the Dutch, but they were Germans. They came here and stayed because Germany is a fairly young country too. But it wasn't called Germany then, uh, but, but nevertheless, these are the people from that region. We call them, the, we call them Dutch, Deutsch, Dutch. But they all came here with different ideas and, and values. Some were agrarian, some were urban. I mean, the Jews who came here were hungry for education. The Italians who came here were suspicious of education. Okay? The Irish who came here felt like they had already been slaves. And when they arrived and saw the signs, no Irish need apply, they, they threw themselves into politics to control their own destiny. The Germans and the Italians stayed away from politics for the most part. They didn't want to have anything to do with it. They had seen what it did to their people and where they came from. So they weren't coming here thinking, oh, we're all white people. This is great. No. They, in fact, I've said, I don't hold me to this exact number, but, I, but it's, 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 a pretty close approximation if it's not accurate to the year. But it took generally about 50 years before these groups even began to intermarry. In other words, you, you were Irish, you didn't marry, you weren't, you weren't about to bring an Italian girl home or vice versa. Or you were German, you, were <coughs> you weren't about to bring an Irish girl home. Or you were the Irish girl, you weren't about to bring an Italian guy home. I mean, there'd be bloodshed. It wasn't, oh, well, no, as long as he's white, that's, but th this is, this is, this ideology was concocted by the slave master class, a very small percentage, by the way, even of Southerners, 
most Southerners didn't own slaves. It was a small group of elites for the most part who owned slaves. There were some sort of middle income people who might own one or two slaves, but for the most part, the slaves were on big plantations owned by large landowners and most people had nothing to do with it, which really left a lot of people on the outside looking in because they were trying to compete with slave labor which is one of the reasons why West Virginia was born, because people said, you know, we can't compete with slave labor, and West Virginia was a free state. Not because they had these lofty ideas about the nature of Americans of African ancestry, but because out of self-preservation, they realized, how can we ever compete with slave labor? That doesn't give us an opportunity to earn a living for our families. No, no slavery here. And I will tell you the story about the birth of West Virginia, but it's a very, very fascinating story about Virginia breaking away from Virginia and, of course, siding with the Union as opposed to siding with uh, the Confederacy. My point in saying all that is American culture is this, it, it's unique. There's nothing else like it in the world. Now, Europe is, of course, right now facing a cultural crisis because of all the Muslims that they brought in. But, of course, Europe had long abandoned God, had long abandoned Christianity and Jesus Christ for the most part. So it's not like it's a, it's a, it's a religious clash. It really is a cultural clash of people bringing in a whole new culture. And Europe may not have the wherewithal to resist the encroachment of that culture uh, on their own sense of cultural identity. And I'm not talking about, quote unquote, white folks. I'm talking about the ideals, the norms, the values, the principles, the behaviors that tend to govern a people without their being codified in law. That's what culture is. And America is a unique culture. When I come back tomorrow, I want to talk to you about American culture because I, and, and then I want to talk to you about, in fact, I may spend this whole week talking about this or a good part of it. Then I'm going to talk to you about what does it take? What is it going to take to bring us back from the brink of cultural ruin? What is it going to take? Okay. But first, I want to talk about what is American culture? I throw that out there. I say it's unique. What is it? I want to define it for you. I want to lay out for you some of the principles of American culture. Please tell a friend, tell a neighbor to tune in tomorrow because that's what I'll be talking about tomorrow. In the meantime, folks... I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what they say. You keep your head up. You keep your eyes on Jesus. You trust God. We are already more than conquerors because he loves us. You stand up. You step up. You speak up. You refuse to back up because we cannot be defeated if we will not quit because we are on God's side. <clears throat>